Uh, hello everyone. Um, this is a program behind the beaker and my name is uh, Sadhna Ravishankar. I am an associate professor at the School of Animal and Comparative Biomedical Sciences and I conduct food safety research. Hello and welcome science listeners. I'm Jillian Barch, your host and science reporter for the Daily Wildcat and you are listening to Behind the Beaker, a Daily Wildcat science podcast. Today, we talk with Sadna Ravinchinka about food safety. So to start off, could you give us an overview of the kind of research you do? Okay, yeah, I do food safety research. And food safety is really important. It's a public health problem because every year in the US, there are about 48 million people who get sick. Uh, about 128,000 people are hospitalized and about 3,000 people die from eating contaminated food. So my research focuses on two major things. One is uh, trying to understand how foodborne pathogenic bacteria survive in the production and processing um, environments. And two, uh, coming up with natural ways to control these bacteria that can grow in foods. And, you know, nobody should be worried about what they're eating. They should not be looking, you know, uh, at a piece of uh, apple or a leafy green or something and thinking, you know, am I going to have some illness uh, from eating this food? Uh, so that that's really important. So our main goal is uh, to improve the safety of the food supply and provide a safe and wholesome food to the consumer. Very interesting. How did you get into that research? Uh, that's a great question and it's a long story, but to, you know, to make it short, um, in uh, 1993, when I was uh, trying to look at uh, what kind of uh, career should I choose and what to do my PhD on, I heard about uh, the jack-in-the-box hamburger outbreak. And in this uh, particular outbreak, a lot of people got sick uh, from eating undercooked uh, hamburger patties. And uh, the, the irony was that some uh, children died from this particular outbreak. And uh, when I heard about this outbreak, I was like, you know, nobody should be dying from uh, eating what they like to eat. Um, and I, in general, I had an interest in um, microbiology. And, you know, because of having a bad vision, you know, especially I'm kind of lazy in my uh, left eye. I, you know, I, I can't see very well with my left eye. Uh, my family uh, prevented me from choosing a career in microbiology. You know, and back home, when you say microbiology, everything is microscope. So they are like, okay, you're going to, you know, lose your vision. <laughs> you have only one good eye. <laughs> you shouldn't be, you know, going into microbiology. And I had chosen... Um, agriculture uh, as my field of study. I have my bachelor's in agriculture and master's in agricultural extension. And, uh, but I've always, you know, wanted to delve into microbiology. So when I came to this country in 1992, I was still deciding what I should do. I really wanted to do a PhD. And I was deciding what should I be choosing my, as my field of study, but I really wanted to bring microbiology in. And I was volunteering uh, in a lab at the University of Georgia, which helped me understand that 
food microbiology is not all about microscopes. You know, there are so many other things that you can do. And, uh, and when I heard about uh, this outbreak, I'm like, boom, I am going to choose food safety as my career. And, you know, since then, my passion has never decreased in this field. I feel that I am able to contribute to the society because, you know, I'm able to make food safer. Food is something that everybody likes to eat. So uh, that's how I got into the field of, you know, food uh, microbiology, food safety. And I still love that field. I love what I'm doing. I love to talk to people about how to keep food safe, about food science, and so on and so forth. So I uh, pursued my PhD um, at the University of Georgia in Athens, Georgia, in um, uh, starting 1993. Um, and since then, I've been in this field. I, I love it. That's very good. I love that you're so passionate about it. That makes it fun to go to work, you know? <laughs> Um, so I know that you have a lot of different research interests. Do they intertwine with one another or are they all focusing on something completely different? My research interests are varied, uh, but they all focus on uh, food safety, food microbiology. So I would say that they are intertwined in producing a safe food. So the main uh, uh, you know, focus of uh, research in my lab is basically two things. One is understanding how foodborne pathogenic bacteria survive in the food. I mean, you know, they are, these bacteria are really smart. They are able to survive harsh conditions. They are able to grow in the food or survive in the food and uh, they are able to cause outbreaks. So how do they survive? What makes them survive? And the second uh, main focus is how can we control them? And not just controlling, but you know, the current consumers, uh, they want everything natural. They want natural ingredients, natural processes. Everybody understands that chemicals are not really good for you and that they dump you know, so many preservatives. The industry dumps preservatives in the food. And so consumers have really express their concerns again chemical preservatives they want everything natural and now you know industry is gearing towards adding as many natural ingredients and making the process as natural as possible everybody is worried about the environment you know we want environmental sustainability you know clean label foods it's a, that's a big clean label movement going on um, so uh, my lab is trying to focus on the consumer preference, which is controlling bacteria in the natural ways using everything that is plant-based. And, you know, I'm, um, I'm, a, I'm a vegetarian, by the way. Um, so I love everything that is plant-based. So it was easy for me to choose this particular focus where we can control bacteria in the natural ways. Very interesting. Um, so... You're working on those two right now in your lab, correct? Yes, yeah, yeah. And everything is intertwined because in order to come up with ways to control the bacteria, we have to understand how they are able to survive. Because only when you know how they're able to survive, then you can figure out, okay, we need to spe specifically focus on this particular aspect because uh, bacteria is able to survive. So both these are intertwined and all my research interests are focusing on making food safe. So they are interrelated. Perfect. All right. And then could you walk us through that research? How are you going about like finding data for it and kind of conducting that research? Um, so we have various um, aspects of research uh, within, you know, those two areas that I talked about. 
Uh, and the way we are going about is, um, one is uh, looking at how they survive in the uh, production environment, how these bacteria, um, they are able to cope up with the harsh conditions uh, that they are facing in the production and processing environments. Um, so I can give you some examples of research we are focusing on that particular area and then move on to control. Uh, so one thing that we focus on is uh, uh, understanding how bacteria attach and uh, they form what is called as biofilms. So uh, just to give you uh, uh, a little bit of an understanding of, uh, about biofilms. So biofilms are formed uh, in uh, production and processing environments. They can be easily formed anywhere as long as you have a surface. What uh, bacteria start doing is they start attaching to that particular surface. And let's take uh, a food production in a wet processing environment. So you have an equipment. And in the equipment, you can have hard to reach area. So the way food production is done is they do the processing and the cleaning crew comes in, they'll clean up everything and then the production continues. I mean, you know, in, if you go to a food processing plant, you're going to see that production continuously happens. They don't even, you know, take a break. Uh, uh, but there could be hard to reach areas, the nooks and cran you know, crannies, crevices in a food processing equipment that may, might be really hard to reach. So in those areas, what can happen is, let's say, you know, raw material contains bacteria. So bacteria are able to gain access to those particular areas and they start attaching. And then what happens is the cleaning, you know, the cleaning crew comes in, they clean up everything, and then food, food is processed all over again. So what happens is uh, if there is a biofilm in the area, only the top layer is going to come off. Bacteria is still going to be there. And then these, uh, the food is being processed. So you're going to have nutrients, minerals, all those are going to deposit on, uh, on the bacteria. And uh, so this continuously happens. You have layer of bacteria, you have layer of minerals, nutrients, moisture, all that. So they continue to keep adding up over and over again. And pretty soon you're going to have like a thick layer of biofilms. And the advantages of biofilms are that the bacteria will be uh, that are you know on the underlying layers they will be protected only the top layer or the top layers will be removed during a cleaning and they keep adding on and on and on and bacteria in a biofilm are resistant to many of the harsh conditions in, in comparison to bacteria not present in a biofilm. So they can definitely survive really well and they are resistant to sanitizers and they also uh, communicate with each other. It's called a quorum sensing. There is you know, cell to cell signaling involved. And um, so these bacteria are well protected. So biofilm uh, is one way they are able to protect themselves. And uh, we are also uh, looking at antibiotic resistant bacteria. So what we did is we did some research uh, looking at uh, meat production environments. I mean, even though, you know, most of my research focuses on uh, the produce production environments, we also focus on meat production areas. So we uh, looked at uh, bacteria uh, sampling different areas 
and on the animals as well um, in meat production environments. And we were able to show that antibiotic resistant bacteria thrive in that particular environment. So they, they, they become highly resistant and they are able to you know, survive harsh conditions. So we have looked at that. And another area with regard to understanding uh, survival in production environments is uh, this unique way bacteria are able to survive by uh, changing the, the way uh, uh, you know, uh, their metabolism is, by you know, changing the physiological response, uh, 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 a specific state of bacteria called as viable but non-culturable state. And this is very intriguing to me because what bacteria do is they become non-culturable. So the, you know, the traditional way we are able to detect bacteria is by culturing them. So what we do is we take food samples, we enrich the food samples using media, and then you know, we put them in a solid agar type of you know, uh, media where they grow and they show up as colony forming units and you are able to enumerate, detect and enumerate them. But when they form this viable but non-culturable state, it's pretty dangerous because they will not show up on regular microbiological media. That's why it is called as viable, but non-culturable state. So they are alive, but they won't show up on you know, regular media, which is pretty dangerous, you know, in my opinion. And we have seen uh, the viable but non-culturable state of bacteria in um, several different uh, uh, areas, specifically in the production environment. And uh, uh, let's take, you know, specifically the produce production environment. We have seen this state of bacteria in irrigation water when they are exposed to UV uh, light. Um, and when do bacteria form the viable but non-culturable state under conditions of stress? So one is, you know, UV exposure is stressful for them. And we, in my lab, we clearly showed that they can go into this viable but non-culturable state. And another one is exposure to chlorine. So if you look at many of these salad vegetables, they go through a chlorinated wash. They go into a huge dump tank. You know, the produce is harvested. They are fresh cut and uh, they are dumped into a huge tank of chlorinated water. They are washed, then they go through a water wash, then they are dried using you know, centrifugal drying and then they are packaged. So exposure to chlorine is another uh, stressful condition that can make them into go into this viable but non-culturable state. And you know this state, I would say, is of concern to the industry because you know you're going to be trying to detect these bacteria by plating them on you know normal culture media. You're not going to find them, and you may think that there is no bacteria, but they still may be there. And research has shown that bacteria in the viable but non-culturable state can still be infectious. So let's say you have a bacteria in that particular state in a food product, and the consumer is going to consume this particular food product, they can still get sick. So that is really, really you know, dangerous. So, so now you know, I've given you some examples of the first uh, focus uh, of our research understanding uh, the survival of microorganisms. The second one is 
controlling foodborne uh, pathogenic bacteria. And this is a type of research I've been working on for the past, I would say, uh, several, several years, probably, you know, 10 years or so. And um, as I told you before, consumers are um, in favor of using natural ingredients and processes. So we have been looking at uh, natural processes, um, starting from my previous job um, in Chicago. I used to work at the National Center for Food Safety and Technology, which is currently called as the Institute of Food Safety and Health. It's a consortium um, of um, uh, FDA um, industry as well as academia. So all the projects there are looking at non-thermal type of technologies to control bacteria in food. So while uh, I was uh, in my previous job uh, at the National Center for Food Safety and Technology, we were looking at some of the uh, technologies, uh, non-thermal type of technology. The reason I'm saying non-thermal is because any traditional you know, thermal type of a food process is uh, going to you know, you, uh, uh, cause uh, changes in the food product, you know, changes in the sensory qualities of the food product. For example, if you take a traditional thermal process, let's take a canned food product. You see, let's take, you know, specifically, you know, canned beans or canned peas. What is the texture of the product? It's kind of mushy, right? Consumers, and not too many, you know, consumers are going towards uh, eating, you know, canned food products. So traditional thermal process, you can have loss of nutrition. You can have the loss in sensory quality, color, texture, you know, appearance. All those are not going to be something that the, you know, current consumers like. So we have researched processes such as high pressure processing. So high pressure process is using pressures of a very, very high magnitude, like 600 megapascals to treat the food. But the advantage of high pressure processing is you are able to maintain the nutrition. You are able to maintain the sensory attributes, the taste, color, uh, texture, you know, all that is going to be as uh, like fresh products. And some of the examples of food products uh, that can be uh, processed using high pressure processing would be things like, you know, guacamole, salsas, and you can process, you know, ready to eat meat products uh, like ham and uh, bologna hot dogs and things like that, where the, you know, you will taste the food very much fresh. I mean, I've tasted them and they will taste really fresh. So high pressure processing is one type of a technology we have looked at. We've also looked at um, pulse electric field processing, wherein, you know, you can treat uh, liquid type of food products, you know, like juices, milk, a uh, pretty good uh, type of process where you can maintain the sensorial attributes, the nutritional quality, and uh, uh, so on and so forth. And all these processes, they not only improve food safety by killing the pathogenic bacteria, but they can also help in increasing the shelf life of, of, the, of the food product uh, pretty, pretty well. And, uh, you know, another area of research that my lab currently focuses on that, you know, we have started this research long time ago is using natural plant-based antimicrobials, wherein you can uh, improve the flavor of the food product as well. They help in maintaining uh, the sensorial attributes. You can kill the bacteria, you know, foodborne pathogens, as well as spoilage organisms, increasing the shelf life of the food products. And not only that, we all know the health benefits of plant-based ingredients. 
you know, uh, for example, let's take some, you know, common spices uh, that a consumer uses um, in their, you know, household kitchen, like in things like cinnamon. Cinnamon can help, uh, you know, reduce the blood sugar. And other types of spices, they have, you know, oregano, for example, they have antioxidative activity. So one example of a simple research that we did um, in our lab is improving the uh, safety uh, of uh, hamburger patties. So we added common, you know, plant-based ingredients, uh, spice powders, extracts into uh, hamburger patties. And we showed that you can not only kill the E. coli bacteria, which is of concern in ground beef uh, type of food products, but you can also reduce the formation of carcinogenic compounds that can be formed uh, during grilling process. So that's, you know, a very, very simple message for the consumer, but, you know, it goes a long way in uh, uh, protection yourself from not only food safety uh, or foodborne pathogenic bacteria, but also protecting yourself from carcinogenic compounds. And, you know, we have developed uh, antimicrobial uh, microemulsion type of formulations uh, where we are able to dissolve essential oils better in the wash water and we are able to reduce uh, or, you know, completely kill foodborne pathogens that are of concern in salad vegetables such as E. coli O15787 and salmonella. So we are trying to take these formulations to the next level. And our main aim is to replace chlorine because we all know chlorine is not good for the environment. Chlorine has you know, certain disadvantages and our plant-based formulations will be able to overcome all those challenges and you know be environmentally friendly be healthy and you know not corrosive to the equipment they they don't lose efficacy uh, in comparison to chlorine and so on so we have several 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 advantages you know in comparison to some of the chemical based type of sanitizers so you know these are some examples of research uh, that we have been doing very interesting. I had a follow-up question for mm -hmm. you. You were talking about like shelf life and how that's helped improve shelf life and everything. Um, I know like a big issue in agriculture is kind of how to feed the growing population as it is growing very rapidly. Like how is 2% going to feed everyone? Um, will that help with that issue? Like does your research kind of play into that as well? Yeah. So uh, what you're talking about is more of food security. And in my opinion, food safety and food security are kind of interrelated, right? So uh, when I talk about food safety and shelf life, these are two different things. But, you know, food safety is keeping the food safe and uh, improving shelf life is reducing spoilage. And even though we know that spoilage organisms may not make you sick, uh, you know, with loss in shelf life, nobody is going to be eating that food product. And when there is a loss in shelf life, you will be able to detect it because the food may not look normal. The smell may not, you know, uh, be normal. And you can definitely see that the food has lost its shelf life. You can definitely see it. And no consumers are going to be wanting to eat 
something that smells abnormal, something that looks abnormal, and they're going to throw it away, right? So in both food safety as well as food spoilage, what can happen is economic loss, right? Whether you believe it or not, it's going to be like, you know, food safety people may not be able to see, but if the company finds out that they have a contamination of concern, a foodborne pathogenic agent of concern, they're going to recall the product and everything is going to be dumped down the drain. With shelf life, everything is going to be dumped down the drain as well. So, and you know, if you, uh, 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 you know, just to give you some statistics, about 25% of the food supply, global food supply is lost because of loss of shelf life and because of, you know, spoilage microorganisms. So it's, in my opinion, that's a big percentage. And both, you know, a compromise in food safety, a comprom compromise in shelf life, you're going to dump the food product, which is related to food security. All that food could have been, you know, fed to somebody, fed to the hungry, right? So this is all being dumped down the drain. And so you know, food safety and, you know, improvement in shelf life indirectly is going to contribute to food security and using that food to feed the hungry. So I would say our research indirectly will definitely contribute towards food security and feeding the growing population as well and, you know, making it healthy as well. And, you know, give the consumer uh, confidence in eating what they're eating, uh, knowing that it is going to be safe for them. Very interesting. Thank you for confirming that with me. Um, what were some challenges you have faced with conducting this research? Um, Research-wise, um, I would say, you know, there are not too many challenges in food safety. We have, you know, one thing is you need to have uh, funding to do the research and the facilities to do the research. And, you know, facility-wise, I mean, you know, the University of Arizona has very good research facilities. Um, and initially, when I joined uh, University of Arizona, I was able to find some collaborators, even though, you know, uh, one challenge I faced was there was no Department of Food Science in here. Um, so, you know, I was into uh, the existing, you know, microbiology, vet science and microbiology department, which is currently called the School of Animal and Comparative Biomedical Sciences. And since I came in, you know, we have grown uh, the program. Um, I formed, uh, 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 you know, um, a consortium with the, in collaboration with, uh, you know, a lot of the existing faculty. I talked to them, uh, people who had an interest in food safety research, I did talk to them. And then, uh, you know, uh, there was the formation of a food safety consortium. Uh, and uh, I am the chair of the food safety consortium currently. Um, and, uh, you know, we do uh, look at uh, food safety related activities. Uh, uh, and I found that uh, um, scientists who were interested in this kind of research, they were all widespread in different units, in different colleges. We brought them all together. We work with the, you know, local industry. We work with extension folks. And, um, you know, we also work with the regulatory scientists. We have, you know, members from Arizona Department of Ag. We have uh, members from the Arizona on a public health department so we all come together to solve issues collectively you know or to solve issues related to food safety do outreach activities with the industry and consumers and so on and so forth so i had a little bit of a challenge not having a department of food science in here but the nutritional sciences department have folks uh, or scientists who are interested in food safety i do collaborate you know, a lot with them they have an interest in food science we have a food science club 
uh, that uh, two uh, faculty members from nutritional sciences and myself are the faculty you know uh, advisors for that particular club i enjoy you know working with students who have an interest in food science um so even though i had some initial challenges um uh, with regard to starting this research um uh, I didn't, I, it wasn't, you know, a big deal for me uh, because having coming from, you know, and uh, to a university where I studied, where there was a food science department and in a consortium where everything was related to food science and food safety, not having, you know, food science department was definitely challenging, but I was able to find collaborators. I was able to find some really good collaborators at the, you know, agricultural center in Yuma, Arizona. And if you know, Yuma is a good, um, uh, vegetable producing area about you know 98% of the winter supply for the entire nation is uh, grown in Yuma Arizona so you know I um even though initially I was exposed to meat safety research, I was able to develop a good research program in produce safety. And, you know, we, we focus on various aspects of produce safety. I was able to collaborate with scientists uh, like Jorge Fonseca, who was uh, then uh, uh, the post-harvest specialist at the University of Arizona over there. And I have continued to collaborate with many scientists in Yuma. We work with the Yuma uh, Center, um, uh, of excellence in desert agriculture, uh, Paul Brearley, and uh, we continue to do the work uh, with them. Uh, so I'm happy that I may, I'm able to collaborate with the various units, not only in the main campus, but also in Yuma and do a lot of the food safety research. So those were some of the initial challenges, I would say. And uh, in general, you know, one challenge that may be faced by, you know, many of the applied uh, uh, research scientists would be, you know, like uh, bringing the point across that applied research can be, you know, directly used by the food industry. So we do a lot of, you know, field sampling. And uh, uh, one of the challenge, you know, that I have faced is that, you know, field sampling is not perceived by, you know, actual research as by many of the basic uh, scientists who do, who do research. So that's, that's one challenge, you know, I have definitely faced is to make them understand that applied research is also research because we have discoveries, we find things that are directly used by the food industry. And this is very important for the food industry because they need science to support the data. They cannot be just taking something and applying without doing science, without understanding what is going on because food is a very, very complex matrix. And any little change that you're going to be doing during processing is going to affect the end result drastically. Improving safety and shelf life is a big challenge. So any little thing that has changed with regard to ingredients or processing, there is a lot of interaction going on in that particular food matrix that we have to understand better. And uh, so, you know, uh, things like that, you know, things like field sampling, applied research uh, are some of the challenges that, 
you know, I have faced and uh, trying to bring the point across to the basic scientists that the science we do in the applied field is, you know, really important as well, because we need to produce safe food for the consumers. And the only way we are going to be able to do that is uh, specifically addressing the needs of the industry uh, in making a safe food and for Im improving the shelf life of the food product. We will be right back after a word from our sponsor. The Daily Wildcat essentially is a collaborative learning community made up of university students, journalism students, um, photography students that essentially all come together to put their skills to produce uh, news, um, online media, digital media, all these sort of things outside of the classroom. The Daily Wildcat is the student newspaper at the University of Arizona. We serve the student body as well as the rest of the Wildcat community in trying to chronicle what's going on on campus. We're just a really fun group of people. It's a good balance of having a good time and still being able to get our work done and focus and effectively communicate and yeah, it's a lot of fun very different than anything I've ever done in the fact that it's media related and newspaper so it's not like you're serving people food or running a cash register so it's a hands-on way to interact with the world around you that I think is really fun. Daily Wildcat serves people who just who are just like passionate and ambitious about their projects. But Daily Wildcat's print and print stories. I mean like if you have a passion for it, come on over. I mean we're always accepting people. talked about your lab a little bit what was the process like to kind of get your own lab okay so um the process to uh get my own lab um um Initially, I was faced with that challenge in my previous job uh, at the FDA facility in Chicago. And uh, uh, during that job, when I was trying to set up my own lab, um, it was a great learning experience for me um, because I had to build a lab kind of from scratch. Uh, so that gave me a lot of experience. And uh, so when I uh, moved to the University of Arizona, again, um, I was um, able to set up my own lab. That was, you know, uh, food safety was kind of brand new uh, in, you know, uh, in my department, specifically applied food safety. And uh, the types of instruments, equipment that you need for food microbiology type of research could be unique. Um, so, the good thing was um, I was given uh, some startup funding. So using that funding, I was able to buy all the equipment that I need and I was able to hire uh, um, a lab technician and uh, 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 the uh, useful um, uh, thing that happened to me uh, was one of my master's student uh, who I guided in Chicago, he agreed to come and uh, work with me as a technician. Um, so he had, you know, graduated with me uh, right before I left uh, Chicago and uh, he was looking for a job. Um, 
So he contacted me saying, you know, if you are looking for a technician, I will be happy to come and work with you. So he came uh, on board, you know, Libin Zoo. I came on board, he helped me set up the lab, ordered all the equipment, and uh, he is still continuing to work with me. He's been, I've, I, you know, I've, uh, I've, 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 since I moved um, uh, to the University of Arizona, uh, within a few months he joined in 2007, and uh, he is, uh, you know, continuing to be here with me. He's currently my lab manager, and uh, I have a great team, I should say. Um, my team uh, works, you know, they really work well with each other. My lab is my second family, I have to tell you. And I treat them like my family. It's like, you know, I, I talk to them, I help them out, all my students, my technicians, my research team, we work um, together like a family. And uh, so I've been fortunate to have him as a lab manager and pretty good team of researchers uh, in my lab. Um, and uh, so, you know, we have, you know, continued to work on uh, issues related to food safety. Working with food safety, have you noticed any misconceptions people tend to have about that career? The misconceptions about the food safety research, I would say there are not that many. I mean, you know, one challenge, I know food safety is, uh, you know, a lot of applied research is involved in that. So, you know, one of the misconceptions uh, could be, uh, as I told you before, uh, from um, scientists who are involved in hardcore, you know, basic research would be, you know, considering it as research. So that would be one misconception. Um, other than that, you know, I do not uh, see, you know, any challenges uh, or misconceptions when it comes to food safety research. I do not see it as, you know, a big problem. Uh, we solve, you know, a lot of the uh, issues faced by the industry. And then I also saw that you do outreach activities. Um, what kind of made you want to go into that and to conduct those for producers and consumers? So outreach activities. So outreach is a very important component of research. And uh, as I mentioned to you before, I have my master's in uh, agricultural extension. So I understand the importance, importance of outreach. So anything uh, uh, that you're discovering, especially when, it's come, when it comes to food safety research, anything that you discover that is applied is uh, meaningless if it does not uh, reach uh, the, uh, you know, the stakeholder, if it does not reach the end user, end product user. Um, so it is really, really important that your discoveries must reach the food industry because then only they will be able to put it to good use. If it is not put, put to good use, there's no point in discovering anything. So uh, when I got into the field of food safety, I understood the importance of uh, outreach, uh, which by the way, when I was in the field of agriculture, when I did my bachelor's, I used to work with farmers. And uh, in, in our senior year, we had to go stay with the farmers for about three months in the summer. And uh, we had to see the existing practices and we had to advise them on changing things in order to have a profitable, you know, 
outcome, a profitable income, and so on and so forth. So that part was, you know, already known to me. So when I started doing research, focusing on the industry needs, it was easier for me to do outreach activities. So we do um, outreach to the industry, and we also do outreach to the community. So with regard to the industry, what we do is uh, we do individual contacts uh, with the industry and we also do like presentations. For example, you know, whenever we get projects funded from the USDA, one of the com component is an outreach component. So we do work a lot with the extension agents because without their help, you know, we can't do it. So we have worked a lot with many of the extension uh, scientists uh, involved in the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences and also with the Cooperative Extension. So we do work a lot with them. Uh, but what we do is they will usually hold like a symposium or a workshop or an, you know, update presentation. So we will go and uh, give a presentation in kind of layman terms so that they understand what is going on. We also do field day demonstrations. For example, a couple of years ago, uh, we do have a project uh, funded to improve the safety and quality of melons. So we were growing different varieties of cantaloupes. We are trying to come up with a variety with all useful attributes, beneficial to the consumer and beneficial to the grower. Um, so we do field day demonstrations. So we participate in that. Uh, and uh, we also do like, you know, one-on-one -on -one meeting with the growers. We go to Yuma, we stay there all day. We talk to them about projects, you know, we, we invite, we give them lunch. We uh, <clears throat> invite them and they come <clears throat> at specific time slots and we talk to them about what are the findings and, you know, we get surveys done uh, so that we can understand their needs better. So we have, you know, done that in the past and to reach the scientific community, we do submit reports which are published on the websites of the sponsors and we also uh, do presentations at international uh, uh, and national and domestic conferences. We let our students go and do the presentations. And then we also publish manuscripts in uh, international scientific peer-reviewed uh, journals, as well as popular magazines to reach the scientific community. And uh, to reach uh, the local you know, public community, what we do is we participate uh, in various events. And one example is uh, the Science City at the Tucson Festival of Books. We have held booths for several years and we talked to the general, you know, public. We have participated in um, an event called as uh, Lettuce Days in Yuma, Arizona. We will have a booth and we will show, we will give, you know, food safety demonstrations. And uh, to reach the local school children, um, what we do is we provide them tools. So we have different uh, schools uh, coming into our labs. They will look at what we are doing. We will explain to them. And, you know, we do uh, little, you know, hands-on activities such as, 
viewing bacteria under the microscope and it's really cool for them they are able to see the foodborne pathogenic bacteria like be, let it be you know salmonella e coli listeria and they see how to wash vegetables they you know we show them how to prevent cross contamination uh, via knives and cutting boards because you know a lot of consumers use the same cutting board for cutting their uh, raw meat and poultry followed by cutting their salad ready to eat vegetables or ready to eat foods like you know slicing maybe like a hot dog which doesn't go through any processing and uh, the the correct way of washing hands so we go over you know uh, we use things like glitter for showing cutting board safety to children and we say imagine you know the glitter we put glitter on the chicken piece and then we you know we just cut it and then we bring the salad vegetable we cut it and the glitter sticks to the piece of uh, lettuce and we show them you know imagine the glitter is bacteria that is what is going to happen same thing with the hands and so on so you know we do cool activities for little children i've hosted you know girl scouts i've been a girl scout troop leader and uh, i've taught food safety to girl scouts i've gone to elementary school there is a program called um uh, uh, hosted you know sponsored by the college of agriculture and life sciences called as the annual agriculture literacy day so i go to elementary schools and you know these kids have no idea where our food is coming from so if you ask them they are like oh it comes from the grocery stores so you explain to them about where you know food is grown how are they getting their food and i also include some of the food safety into my talks about where the food comes from and uh, you know so on and so forth so i love outreach you know because i have been exposed to the uh, uh, extension field i love doing outreach i love working you know Uh, with everyone from young children all the way to adults to talk about our research because it is so interesting you know i love my research so i love talking about it to any type of audience so you know i definitely uh, enjoyed that part of the research uh, that part of the uh, of my career apart from research also doing outreach activities yeah i love that you brought that up i was in ffa in high school so we do literacy days for like an activity and like you'd ask them where does chocolate milk come from and they'd say a brown cow and they were just so cute i love those activities <laughs> uh so then kind of talking about your educational experience um what mentors have you had that had a significant impact on your life yes my mentors did have a significant impact in my life um and uh, as i told you earlier i was volunteering in a lab at the university of uh, uh, georgia in athens georgia where i kind of began uh, my career um uh, dr mark harrison um he gave uh, me an opportunity to um work a uh, volunteer in a lab and he was the one who exposed me uh, to the field of food safety um and let me tell you a little story uh, it'll be a bit humorous so uh, the first day i go into his lab um he brought me um a piece of uh, ground beef so he had thawed and kept it 
he brought me uh, that particular piece and he gave me some salts to add to the ground beef and he said you know go ahead and mix this salt into the ground beef and i'll be back you know in like five minutes and i'm going to uh, show you what to do uh, being a vegetarian uh, i've never been exposed to meat you know I, I coming from india and uh, never eaten meat before and so when i saw the piece of ground beef i'm like oh my god how am i going to do this and you know the sight of meat <laughs> makes me go like this you know I, I i can't i can't handle it so you know i wore I gloves not just you know one pair but two two pairs because i don't want to touch it i added the salt into it mixed it all together and uh, did the work that day and you know i could not stand the smell of meat at the time because i've never been exposed to it never eaten meat or whatever so it was really really difficult for me and then when i came home i'm like oh god i've touched meat today so i have to take a shower but then you know um uh, i got used to working uh, with meat because that was my first research i was exposed to his meat safety research he was doing a lot of work on you know meat and poultry and he used to do a lot of industry work so uh, he uh, taught me the importance of food safety. He taught me the importance of working on applied research in collaboration with the industry. And uh, most of all, um, while many uh, professors they don't get time to go to the lab and you know interact with their students, my major advisor, um, you know, Dr. Harrison, he came in person to the lab and he taught me some of the important basic you know food microbiological techniques himself so uh, that was very you know valuable to me very personal and uh, i still owe my you know gratitude exposure of the field uh, you know great mentorship he gave uh, you know i will i'm forever grateful you know to him for that uh, he definitely you know taught me the importance of food safety and all the passion that i have for the field I definitely owe a great deal to him and uh, you know some of the other uh, mentors uh, that I, I do need to mention um, are um, when I moved to uh, Chicago uh, which was my first uh, job and even before I moved to that I have another uh, faculty member to thank for Dr. Louise Wicker uh, at the University of uh, Georgia uh, I did a small postdoc uh, with her and uh, she uh, was like a role model for me because a woman scientist you know so looking at her i was like okay i can achieve as well you know so she was a role model she was very supportive of me and so i you know owe a lot of gratitude to her as well and then you know when i moved to chicago i did have some you know really good mentors uh, uh, dr peter slade dr bala i worked with them initially and uh, learned a great deal uh, as a postdoc being in those labs and some of the fda scientists dr you know greg fleischman uh, Dr. Marilu Tortorelov, uh, Dr. Sue Keller, Dr. T.J. Fu. I mean, they're all FDA scientists that I was fortunate to work with, uh, Dr. Rukma Reddy. And, you know, I learned a great detail uh, about food safety, about uh, being in the FDA and, you know, how FDA scientists work. 
uh, a great deal from them. And uh, another scientist that I, that I have to thank for who helped a lot in my professional development is Dr. Vijay Juneja. He is a lead scientist at the USDA Agricultural Research Service uh, Eastern Region, Regional Research Center at uh, uh, the Binmore, Pennsylvania facility. He was, you know, really uh, uh, helpful in my professional development as well. So I owe a lot of gratitude to uh, to him as well and there are many 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 others but yes mentorship was really really important for me and at the university of arizona when i came in as a faculty member uh, uh, i i was uh, highly supported by dr lynn james who is no more in our department uh, but he was very very encouraging to me i still miss him uh, and uh, also several you know other faculty members at uh, the animal comparative biomedical sciences who you know i uh, owe a lot of gratitude to and currently dr mike uh, riggs uh, he um, uh, is currently in our department he's a professor and i do uh, still see him as a mentor um, and i'm you know grateful for uh, to him for all the support um, he's been you know giving me uh, all these years yeah um, is there any advice you would give to students who are interested in pursuing a career in food safety? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, food safety is my passion. And uh, a piece of advice I would uh, give to students is that uh, this is a field uh, that you can achieve a lot if you want to give back to the society, right? Food is something that people enjoy eating and food is an integral part of our daily lives. So go for it. You know, you can make food safe and thereby you are indirectly contributing towards public health. You are giving them something healthy to eat with a good confidence. You know, consumers need to have a confidence in a safe food supply. So you are able to do that. You are indirectly able to contribute towards food security. You are able to contribute towards environmental sustainability. So I would say there is definitely no doubt at all. If you want to pursue food safety as a career, go for it. If you like eating, if you love food, this would be a good, good field to be in. And also regarding job prospects, I would say food safety is one field, but you will always find a job. And one example I can give you is I have uh, uh, advised more than a dozen students so far between Chicago and here. I would say more than you know 20 students I have advised so far. And all of my students have found a career either in the field of food safety or something related to it. So uh, I have never had students finding difficulty, you know, uh, looking for a job or, you know, finding a job. And uh, pretty much all of them have successfully landed into careers. I still keep in touch with them. I love talking to my former students, uh, seeing, you know, what they're doing. And uh, it, to me, you know, their success is my success. You know, they are my family. Once they come into my lab, they are part of my family. And 
I love keeping in touch with them. They have always found uh, success uh, in uh, uh, going for, you know, uh, in finding a job, finding a good career. So food safety, I would say, is definitely a great, great field to be in because we all know that there are foodborne outbreaks all the time. You know, every year there are like several foodborne outbreaks and these bacteria find ways to survive well in the food. So we, we need to constantly keep doing research as new products come in because consumers are looking for new products and so industry keeps coming up, coming up with new products trying to tackle uh, the challenges of football with the football outbreak and uh, trying to you know uh, find ways to control these bacteria and there are challenges that we are discovering every day so the food safety is going to be important and you know consumption of food is not going to stop so research on food safety is definitely not going to stop so if you like food please go for it. It's a great field to be in. And we do have a new major in our department right now, uh, the food safety major, Bachelor of Science in Food Safety. And uh, you know, if you have an interest, please join that major. Uh, and there's also a minor in food safety. So if you're majoring in something else, uh, there is a chance for you to do a minor in food safety. And if you choose this field, you're definitely not going to go wrong, I would say. Uh, and uh, yeah, you're definitely going to enjoy this career. And the sky is the limit. So, you know, you can do anything you want. Uh, and uh, so please go for it. That, that would be, you know, my great suggestion. I have enjoyed it. And I'm sure you will enjoy, enjoy it too. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Is there anything we, that we didn't talk about today that you would like to speak about? Uh, anything that we did not talk about today um, would be, I would say, you know, produce safety, a little bit about produce safety. So, um, you know, when I was a grad student, um, at that time, uh, we never, everything was about meat safety. And we did not even think that salad vegetables uh, is something that you can get sick from. So, uh, uh, in the last, I would say, you know, 20, 30 years or so, we found that um, produce get, can, can get contaminated and not just, you know, uh, anywhere, but in the field level. So that was something uh, that we have learned over the last, you know, 30 years or so that um, uh, production environment can be risky as well. And... Uh, uh, so, so growers have to come up with uh, uh, good preventative measures to prevent uh, control at the production level, in the field level, which is a big, big challenge. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, when I uh, talk to many of the growers, uh, I have uh, found out that animal intrusion is a big problem. You know, animals go into their fields at night. And, you know, if you have uh, traveled uh, through Yuma, you, if you have seen these fields, there are acres and acres and acres of lands uh, where these vegetables are grown. Uh, so, you know, controlling these microorganisms at the field level is a big challenge. Pre-harvest food safety is a huge challenge. Um, and uh, because it is, you know, very difficult to control the bacteria at the field level, post-harvest, you know, um, decontamination becomes really, really challenging. So that's one thing, you know, we never talked about. This was like 
uh, it's, it's a really intriguing field to me as to how these bacteria can survive, you know, maybe in, through fecal contamination, you know, there's like, uh, you know, let's say there is a feedlot several, several miles away. Somehow these bacteria find a way to survive, you know, in the fecal material, go into some kind of water, contaminate the irrigation water through seepage, whatever. And then this irrigation water contaminates the big field and we end up having a big outbreak. So, um, you know, there are a lot of, you know, issues when it comes to food safety, when it comes to food safety. And I know industry is trying to uh, work really, really hard to produce a safe food. And uh, that makes, you know, research and science with regard to food safety really important uh, to prevent uh, contamination, both at the pre-harvest as well as the post-harvest level. Specifically, I would say uh, post-harvest is very, very important because that is the last step where you can control these bacteria and kill these bacteria. Um, so, uh, you know, food safety is going to be that. Food safety will prevail. Behind the Beaker is a Daily Wildcat podcast created by Alexandra Perry. The Daily Wildcat online all the time at dailywildcat.com. Thank you, Sadna Ravanshinkar, and everyone involved in this podcast, including science editor Amit Sayal, managing editor and producer Pascal Albright, Oopdab Venkentraman, the Science Desk, and Arizona Student Media. Behind the Beaker is a podcast about the unbelievable science and even more unbelievable scientists behind it at the University of Arizona. For more UA science stories, visit dailywildcat.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Daily Wildcat. This has been Behind the Beaker, a Daily Wildcat podcast. <laughs>